Hi, this is Beth AQ, and this is the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. The Glass House is a space for spoken word artists, poets, sound makers, audio storytellers, emerging cultural leaders, thinkers, writers, and anyone who celebrates story as a means of self-expression, self-representation, and community building. I hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at BethanyAQ or the Triple R website. You are listening to The Glass House, a show interrogating the craft of storytelling. I acknowledge that I broadcast on the stolen, unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I pay respects to elders past and present and extend that respect to the elders of the lands and waterways of which this broadcast reaches. It always was and it always will be Aboriginal land. Coming up on the show today, I'll be joined by Archer Magazine's editor-in-chief, Lucy, Lucy Watson, as well as contributor to their most recent issue, Mama Alto. Uh, Archer, for those of you that don't know, is an incredibly wonderful publication. It's, it's an award-winning, inclusive gender and sexuality publication, and their most recent issue, number 15, is all about friendship. So it's been quite heartwarming to sink my teeth into that. And later in the show, I'll be joined by Gulair Altenbass to speak about a new disability-led digital art show called Human First. Uh, it is a show that opens up tomorrow, Thursday, May 6th at the DAC Centre, and it examines the artistic experience of people who identify as deaf and disabled, chronically ill, neurodiverse, or have lived experience of mental health issues. I'll also be joined there by visual artist and contributing artist, Adam Napper. So very much looking forward to all wonderful guests. I hope you can stay with me over the next hour. Archer Magazine, if you don't already know it, is a multi-award winning inclusive gender and sexuality publication and their most recent issue, number 15, is all about friendship. Joining me to speak about it this afternoon, I have Editor-in-Chief of Archer, Lucy Watson, and I have jazz singer, cabaret artist, gender transcendent diva and Archer contributor, Mama Alto. Thank you both so much for your time this afternoon. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Um, Thank you for having us. It's, uh, it is a pleasure. I always love uh, reading Archer. So maybe, Lucy, we could start with you. How did you arrive at the theme of friendship for this edition? Um, well, I think I, I planned to do a friendship issue uh, a long time ago because I was interested particularly in um, a lot of our stories uh, about poly and I suppose non-monogamous relationships do quite well. Um, but I think that folded into that is an exploration of friendship um, and how, you know, I think in a kind of a lot of mainstream societies and rom-com land, we sort of, you know, privilege the partner above all else. And that includes friendship too. So it was sort of in, I guess, stepping out from, thinking about um, non-monogamy from a poly lens, but also thinking about non-monogamy um, as how it relates to friends as well. Um, and also just because, you know, I think that uh, I have a lot of great friends and a lot of people, a lot of queer people, a lot of people in our kind of communities and Archer readers have a lot of great friendships that we sort of uh, owe a lot to, and I wanted to be able to celebrate those. Um, and then COVID hit, um, and I think that COVID took a particular kind of um, – 
friendship took a bit of a beating with COVID in terms of thinking about lockdowns and thinking about how only one intimate partner is allowed over or all those sorts of sanctionings around relationships and friendships. So it sort of became even more important to celebrate friendships um, because of the year we just had. Mm, it does. It, it's kind of never felt more important, as you were saying, talking about those restrictions that were imposed on relationships that kind of, as you said, prioritise the partner or prioritise people you're living with. It, you know, was it, it's very hard for kind of kinship models or friends as family, different ways of thinking about um, friendship and relationships. So I, I just absolutely have loved kind of reading about friendship and it's so joyous and just such a great connector of people. Um, I'd love to know a little bit about your curatorial approach to, um, I suppose, this issue, but just the magazine at large. Um. That's a great question. Um, I think that Archer is about celebrating diverse voices um, and about lesser heard voices and um, voices on the margins, you know. So I think a, a huge part of that sort of curatorial process is who haven't I heard from and what haven't I heard before. Um, so it's about kind of finding stories from people. in we like At Archer in the magazine, we don't publish voices twice. So everyone that's published in the magazine has only ever written for it once. Um, which I think is pretty huge, but it means we're sort of constantly sourcing new voices and constantly sourcing those um, voices from the margins. And once we've sort of curated a theme, it's about kind of finding all of the different ways that we can speak to those themes and the way that we can speak to those themes um, that represent particularly, you know, um, lesser heard voices around sexuality, gender and identity um, and those sorts of issues that kind of come with that. So I sort of try to, I guess... Uh, speak, find, find writers that I want to hear from, especially a lot of the print magazine is commissioned, um, find writers that I want to hear from and sort of direct them into different paths as to what kind of, you know, lesser heard stories we haven't seen mm -hmm. from yet. I love that. I, now that you've said that, it makes so much sense that it's a uh, new people every time, but it's a really beautiful way to kind of, as you said, make sure that it's always new people. It is making sure you're kind of showcasing all pockets of the um, queer community. I, I'd love that as a, as a curatorial approach. Um, Mama Alto, we do have you on the line. I'd love to talk a little bit about the piece that you've written for this issue. It's all about your reflections on trans friendships and uh, creative journey. It is called Gender Euphoria and you kind of speak about it um, from the show of the same name, which was staged at the Art Centre back in 2019. I was very lucky to catch it when it was on. So it's been a real joy to kind of delve into your thoughts on this. Um, Mama Alto, can you tell me, I suppose, a little bit about the catalyst for Gender Euphoria? I mean, as I kind of discuss in the piece that I did for Archer, a lot of the catalyst really... I had seen the show, Gender Euphoria, the project, which is still an evolving project. We've performed it three times now, first with Midsummer Festival and Art Centre Melbourne, and then again at Art Centre Melbourne and the famous Spiegel Tent for Melbourne International Arts Festival in 2019. And then off the back of that, we were invited to Sydney Mardi Gras in 2020. And then, of course, the whole performing arts world came crashing down. So I spent a lot of time during the lockdowns when we weren't on stages thinking and reflecting on my own performing arts practice and the broader performing arts community. And I had always viewed the evolution of, or the genesis of the Gender Euphoria performing project that we'd created, this cabaret spectacular, as something that had happened very organically. And, um, and then in thinking about 
the idea of trans friendships and queer friendships and the redemptive power that trans friendships have for us to help actualize ourselves in the world, to realize our full glorious potential as trans people. Mm. And so it was a really beautiful fit then with the upcoming Archer edition uh, being about friendship and queer friendship. Mm. To take all these thoughts and notes and journaling I was doing, trying to unpack this idea of trans friendship uh, in relation to the show that we'd created. I'd love to know a little bit more about that uh, process of reflection. Obviously, you were saying the performing arts community, you know, last year was incredibly difficult for it. What was that process like of kind of going from, you know, the year prior you were performing this show to uh, last year, you know, being in lockdown, incredibly difficult year for the arts and many different industries to, yeah, reflecting on what that show really meant in a time where you couldn't be performing it? It was definitely, we had some small support from a few different quick response grants that we were able to help keep the cast and the ensemble of Gender Euphoria afloat. It's a 12 to 16 person project at any given time. It's Australia's largest ever trans and gender diverse main stage production. But we were able to give people small amounts of grant money to say, find ways to keep the project alive during lockdown. And so for me, it was this writing and reflecting and really getting to the heart of how the whole process began in my friendship with Maud, who uh, is not trans, but an amazing queer burlesque icon in Australia. And through our professional friendship over the last 10 years, we had many discussions about what we wanted to do next, about who we weren't seeing on stages, about who we wanted to help create interesting work with us and through our friendships with many trans and gender diverse artists and and colleagues and writers, particularly writers who might not have performed before, we began to build these friendship circles that eventually became the core group who created Gender Euphoria. Mm. So it really had its origins in trans and queer friendships and in, you know, I write in, in this issue of Archer about the image at the towards the end of the show of one of our acrobats, Marla Bird, and they are an amazing non-binary circus aerialist. And towards the end of the show, they have an act where they fly uh, on the trapeze um, with rainbow effect lights that reverberate and and echo off of like a prism, like light in a prism, off of their costume. We get all the audience to wear these special. Uh, ultraviolet treated goggles that turn the refractions of light into rainbows surrounding the room. And I use that image to talk about trans friendship, that it is like shining one light through a prism and it refracts into a glorious infinity of possibilities. And that's, that's the power of the show, but at, at the show's genesis, at the core of that, it's the power of trans friendship. Mm-hmm. All the show does is amplify that possibility of what trans friendships can do and that is really about redeeming and recovering and letting ourselves be seen and letting ourselves shine in a world that is far too often very hostile to queer people and trans people Mm. so it's that redemptive power of friendship it's just such a a magical image that you just portrayed there Um, mama in your piece you kind of talk about how you know, the performance didn't just offer connection with the audience as a, you know, performance art piece, but it also 
created connection for the performers to connect to themselves, which is an incredibly moving um, thought and, and, and line. I'm interested for you how transformative has this production and, again, these reflections coming from this production been on your personal and professional life? Just, I just think it's immense. And it is, in a way, a microcosm of the theme of the whole Archer issue this time because it is about those friendships. At the core of this production was trans and queer friendships and the power that friendship and then any project like this based on friendships has to put, when we have our psychological mirror image of ourselves in the mirror when we reflect in our minds, in our mind's eye mirror, we usually see a distorted version of ourselves who is full of faults and problems and who can't actually embrace all the special and beautiful idiosyncrasies about ourselves that our friends can see. And when something allows you to see yourself the way your friends see you, which is what this project and Euphoria did for me and for many other cast members, allows you to see yourself in a truer mirror that shows you the beauty and power and joy of who you are, the way that your friends see you, not the way that you see yourself, which is often a distorted carnival mirror monster version of yourself. That's that's what it really, on reflecting on it, that's what it's meant to me personally. And I think there are elements of that in most of the pieces in this issue, talking about friendships and queer families and chosen families and the way we relate to each other as human beings you get to see a much more truer picture of yourself, the good and the bad, through the eyes of, through the lens of friendship. Absolutely. What a, yeah, it's so, it's so important, so fundamental. Uh, if you have just joined us, we are talking all about the latest issue of Archer magazine. It is number 15 and it's all about friendship. I'm joined by Mama Alto and editor-in-chief Lucy Watson. Uh, Lucy, I'd love to, I suppose, talk about some of the other pieces in the in the book, um, can you, I suppose, talk to what else is what else we can find in this issue? Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, as as Mama Alto said, and I think something that I sort of neglected to talk about before as well is like you know friendship being part of that chosen family model that um, so many people in our communities sort of have and prescribe to in the absence of or in in addition to biological family. So there's there's a piece on on friends as chosen family um within in in the in the issue um there's also it's there's sort of some more reflections more broadly on connections um or lack thereof there's a piece about loneliness um and and you know how you might feel alone even in the space of of friendship groups um there's a piece around uh, miscarriage and grief um, and it sort of explores the connections there both to um the relationship that sort of brought that um, had that incident happen and, and how we kind of no one really talks about miscarriage and therefore you're not really allowed to grieve um, you know for this sort of unspoken thing so there's that kind of aspect and then on the other side there's also a piece around um, giving birth in in the middle of COVID-19 and the sort of absence it, it, it's written by um, a person whose partner gave birth and, um, you know, they were not allowed to connect and, and the difficulty of, you know, being in quarantine whilst while the person that you love and care for is, is you know, in, in experiencing that. So there's sort of those kinds of stories of connection as well. Um, there's also stories about 
negotiated non-monogamy and, and um, you know, be, becoming friends with all your lovers as well um, and how we can kind of blur the boundaries between all kinds of levels of relationships within that. Um, there's pieces about, you know, the connections made with uh, the person that gave you HIV um, and there's pieces about becoming friends with your ex. Um, so it's kind of, you know, a lot of those different sorts of connections that we can kind of experience in this sort of complicated world that we live in that's not just black and white and mm. has all kinds of levels of hierarchy attached to relationships. Something I loved um, while reading through this was that, you know, there's a Q&A in here with Kira Peru um, and, like, Kira Peru does these really amazing TikTok videos and I just thought it was a perfect example of the ways in which we are connecting or trying to connect, particularly coming out of last year um, and just that she's just, you know, a sensation on TikTok now. I'm like, this is amazing. I love it. <laughs> just That's it. And I think that, like, a lot – I mean, I felt like a lot of at least the earlier content from Kira on TikTok was like, oh, I'm so alone in lockdown. Yeah, help me connect. Totally. Um, and that was kind of, yeah, like a big part of it too. So it was sort of, you know, while friendship's kind of the heart of the issue, the sort of broader idea is how do we connect and who do we connect with? Absolutely. It's never felt more relevant to understand that, particularly coming out of, yeah, just just right now, the time we're in. Um, I'd love to talk just briefly about, I know you had an in-person um, event happen last, I uh, believe last week or the week before, um, which is quite exciting. It's, you know, it, the first of, uh, you know, kind of the reopening and rebirthing of, um, of live events. Um, can you tell me, I suppose, a little bit about what that experience was like, Mum? I believe you were, um, you, well, I believe you were both there, if you, someone wants to talk to that. Mama, do you want to talk about the radiological transphobia? Definitely. I mean, it happened on uh, April 24th, Saturday, April 24th, at the Malt House Outdoor Stage, which is a beautiful outdoor performance space that Malt House Theatre in Southbank has created, partly because outdoor spaces are less likely to be closed down in the event of any COVID restrictions because outdoors is safer than gathering indoors in large numbers. Um, And it was a wonderful co-presented event between the Wheeler Centre, Archer Magazine, Malthouse Outdoor Stage and Midsummer Festival, um, featuring the Wheeler Centre's regular uh, Take It From Me panel, which is like a panel of agony aunts giving advice to questions that people send in. Uh, we also had at the event a couple of readings from the current issue, including Alistair Baldwin's amazing piece about negotiating a a buddy uh, to have in the intimate partner bubble about what does friendship look like in the circumstance where you're only allowed to see someone if it's of an intimate nature and how do you negotiate that. And then we had planned to finish up the evening with a reading from my piece, but at that exact moment the heavens opened um, and I, I did joke, oh, this is meteorological transphobia, but <laughs> that is Melbourne weather, that is the risk with an outdoor event. But it was a really beautiful launch event I think there were about 150 people there who really had a great time because, as you mentioned, Beth, it, for a lot of people, these events, people are just beginning to come out of their lockdown shells and beginning to mingle again and attend live events. Uh, and there is something, you know, at the heart of this city's culture is gathering and celebrating and whether it's around food or whether it's around the arts or performances or launch events like this, that's such an integral part of the way we've been connecting to each other and that was taken away in the last year. So it was quite 
you know, exhilarating for a lot of people to be in that space again. And at the same time, one of my big hopes is that we can continue to gather in person now as the world slowly reopens, but that we keep some of the amazing accessibility and flexible flexibility that we had with live stream performances, with remote working, with teleconferencing, just because there are a lot of people who don't always get to experience gathering in person for various reasons, whether it's um, physical accessibility, whether it is financial reasons, whether it's living regionally or remotely. So I the experience um, of beginning to attend live events again, including the Archer Lodge, is fantastic. But I do really deeply hope we can pursue some sort of new normal, some sort of hybrid events, uh, events model where we keep some of that beautiful remote access that is so important to so many in our communities. Mm, absolutely. I very much hope for that as well. Um, Lucy and Mama Alto, it's been a pleasure chatting with you and congratulations on this issue. Thank you so much. Thank you. We were just chatting there with Editor-in-Chief of Archer Magazine, Lucy Watson, and also Mama Alto there who has contributed a very special piece to this edition of Archer. You can pick it up now wherever you get your magazines. You are listening to Triple R. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. Uh, Human First examines the artistic experience of people who identify as deaf and disabled, chronically ill, neurodiverse, or who have lived experience of mental health issues. It is happening at Studio Dax at the Dax Centre Park Village. Joining me to speak about it this afternoon is local multimedia artist and creator Guler Alton Bass, as well as contributing visual artist Adam Napper. Uh, thank you both so much for your time this afternoon. Thank you too. I'd like to first of all acknowledge Wurundjeri and Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation, pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I'd like to do an acknowledgement and dedication about gender-based and private family violence. So the dedication goes like this. We acknowledge the grief and loss, sadness and vulnerability of survivors and victims of family, gender-based and private violence. We commemorate children, young people, adults and older adults surviving or who have died as a result of such violence. Let us reflect on hope, courage and healing for victims, our community and ourselves. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, Gula, this is a disability-led storytelling project through the medium of digital art. Can you tell me how you first imagined of this project? Yes, so first I, um, I've been working as an artist for the last 10 years, but I had a life before that. So I, didn't, I came to the visual arts quite late. I started off as a youth worker and, um, and community worker and mediation and I actually did community radio as well for 10 years. Amazing. Yeah and, um, and I felt that I wasn't using all of my experience especially during lockdown. Um, I felt like um, I wanted our, um, our artist community to have a voice as well. Um, so when they didn't have that voice that's when I thought I'm going to use all my skills together to to have them talk about their arts practice because the funding for the arts was really cut down. And so that's for the mainstream arts, but for um, disabled arts, it was there was no trickle-down effect for them. And um, so, I, like I said, I just wanted to get gather all of my skills together to do this interview, multimedia, um, 
videoing um, artists with dis- disabilities and um, on side with that screen, we've also got me illustrating their portrait mm. and what's important to them. So that's how I went about it. It's all digital. Mm. It's amazing. I've been able to have a little look online. Um, I know that you've got some of the videos up already. Can you tell me a little bit about, I suppose, the, the process of creation and how you decided, you know, the medium and, and who was going to be involved? Yes. Yeah, so the medium was going through a platform, video platform that we all have used. And um, so we had to prepare all the artists and make sure that they were up to it and had supporters to be able to speak as well because some people speak through their Dynox machine or um, or through an Auslan interpreter and things like that. So there's a diverse array of intersectionality of the artists that I've interviewed and the the main idea was to get them to speak about their arts practice Mm -hmm. alongside with me um, illustrating it with the computer and then I'll put them together, edited it and now they are going to be seen really soon. Yeah. How exciting. Um, and Adam, you are one of the contributing artists. You're a visual artist. Can you tell me a bit about what your experience has been like of the project? Yes, well, um, I got involved uh, through Glare um, and uh, I thought it was a, a good way of uh, connecting to the community and uh, like-minded people. Mm. And I've had a little chance to um, watch a, a parts of your video. Can you tell me what it was like to to have a chance to kind of talk about your, your own art? Yeah, it was a challenge um, to do that. I think it was a very important thing to do, though, however. Mm. Um, yeah, and um, that was our mock. The real um, All the new interviews will be up after the exhibition opening, mm. but that was a sample, so Adam was happy to do that with us, yes. That's so nice. Um, and, you know, you do have quite a few, as you said, quite a few artists involved. They're coming from different kind of arts backgrounds. Um, you have singers, you have visual artists. Can you tell me a little bit about this range of um, the artists and who's involved? Yes, so the cross-section, the intersection is we've tried to um, not not um, rubber stamp, but to try and get experiences from different um, people with their art form. So, like, we've got an artist, Nikki, who has cerebral palsy and speaks through her dine-on box. And, you know, one of so there's a part with the 10 artists. They all I ask for their key message to the audience. So that'll be up on the website and also at the gallery. Mm-hmm. And, and it takes about 14 minutes, but you, it, it's, can you imagine 10 people saying they're sharing their words of wisdom? And I felt really good to be able to put, put that across so that we can all be nourished by that and support them in how... Because they see things differently because of the isolation that they have, but they're also isolated anyway because of their um, health issues or medical issues, if you look at it in that sort of term. Um, and the high, the idea was to be accessible for everyone and, um, and for them to be able to tell their stories, which is like an oral history project. Mm-hmm. It's like going to be in a time capsule of um, when people look back or think about this is what each person faced. And um, and it was really interesting. Um, so we've got like five questions and they all answered those questions, which I won't go into too deeply because I really want you to come and see it and look on the website. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, accessibility is obviously a huge consideration when doing a project like this, but doing any project. Um, I suppose, can you tell me some of the 
I suppose, uh, accessibility considerations that you had to take into account when, when making this work? Sure. Um, so things that um, we were doing was written and it was also um, recorded. Like I recorded all the forms or whatever we needed to do so that I would send that to them by email. Um, yes, and we also needed to have people um, questions preset so they can answer the questions not in a rush, but in their own time. Mm. Um, so, like, as you know, with radio or with any kind of broadcasting, giving the people questions is going to sort of um, may not be as spontaneous and as lively. So, but that that was a concern that I just said, no, don't worry about that. This is the, the main important thing is for them to express themselves mm. and do it to their best ability for them so that we can share our stories to the public, to the mm. people out there, Yeah. And can you tell me a little bit about, uh, you know, we've been speaking about a lot on this show, but on everywhere we've been talking about this kind of re-entering into the world, you know, uh, people are going out to things now, you've got the opening tomorrow night. Um, how long did it kind of take to get everything together to be ready for um, tomorrow? Yes, yeah, so the idea started around September last year and um, and it was that fleeting idea because I wanted, I felt that we really needed to tell our stories as you know, um, people with diversity and disability. So it took some funding applications, some forms to fill out, um, which took a, a process on its own and we had to wait a couple of months to know if we were successful. But um, the DAC Centre came on board, Arts Access Victoria came on board, so we were supported with them with the project idea. They all said, yes, I think you've got a strong project here. And, um, and I thought I'd I don't mind doing this because I'm using all my skills and I really want to tell our stories mm. of those that, who can't, who who are so, um, you know, there's lots of communication access issues with everyday life things. And I wasn't um, hugely familiar with the DAC Centre prior to kind of looking into this work, but it is a, a place that provides artists with lived, lived experience of mental health issues, opportunities for creative expression while fostering social change. Can you tell me a little bit about, I suppose, how you got involved with them and what that partnership's like? Yeah, well, I uh, met uh, Cunningham DAX back in the 1980s. However, uh, I donated some work to the collection and uh, have had a, a long-standing uh, relationship with, with the DAC Centre since. Mm. It seems like they do really incredible work. I'm like very excited to have found out about them through um, through your work. You've got your opening, which is happening tomorrow. Can you tell me a little bit about, uh, a little bit about that? Yes, yeah, so um, we're having some guest speakers and people come and immerse themselves in the environment because it is the first show that they've um, had since they were doing the studio DAC section because before it was just the uh, the collection so I feel quite happy <laughs> that this is happening um, so basically we've got some tickets left so if people want to get through please go and book your tickets because um, there's sort of hardly any left but if they go to book and there isn't any please come the next day and come visit the the center but um yeah I think we had to issue two rounds of um, tickets, which is good, and we have to, um, yeah, we've got a capacity that we've got to look at these days than if it was another time because mm -hmm. of COVID restrictions. So um, what more can I tell you about the night besides being there with us in presence? Come and support us. Come and look at the artwork and look at the um, – there's going to be QR codes next to it, so – and there's TV sets up, but when people come, they can see the interview and my work um, 
the process of me making my work alongside with the interview as they're talking mm. when you're visualising it. So um, we'd love people to come come and look at that and look at the websites as well. That's very exciting. It's uh, Visually, it's, um, it's, a, it's a great-looking show and um, I recommend uh, a visit. And it seems like it might be an exciting time to have everybody together that's been involved in the project. I, I imagine from what I've seen, it looks like you've kind of gone out and worked with people individually. So I imagine it's going to be a nice time to have everyone in the same room. Yes, especially, yeah. And, and that's the that's the great part about it too. Some people I haven't seen physically like yourself for 14 months. It's been a long time because <laughs> we were um, artists together. And, yeah, so we're all... Now, hopefully, coming together through this, having the one stronger voice because you're much stronger um, if you're as a group and a collective, a cohort, mm. and individually your message doesn't come across as much. But because there's one video, like 14 minutes of it, please sit through it. It's um, got all the key messages from all of our artists that are talking about what's important for them and what we should look at. And I don't want to give away too much. I want you to come and listen to it and see it. Yeah. Um, well, congratulations, both of you and everybody involved. It seems like a really incredible project. Um, and thank you so much for your time this afternoon. Thank, thank you, you so too. much. We've just been chatting here to Gule, um, Gule Altenbass and Adam Napper, all about Human First, an artistic experience of people who identify as deaf and disabled, chronically ill, neurodiverse, or people who have lived experiences of mental health issues. It is happening at the DAC Centre in Parkville. You can jump on their website to find out a little bit more information. You are listening to Triple it's time for me to get out of here but I do want to say a big thank you to my guests for joining me this afternoon it was very exciting I have to tell you to have people joining me live in studio can't wipe the smile off my face big thank you to editor-in-chief of Archer magazine Lucy Watson and Mama Alto for talking to me all about the latest issue of Archer magazine also a big thank you to Goulier, Altenbass and Adam Napper for talking to me all about the new disability-led digital art show called Human First. It is happening at the DAC Centre. You can find out more information on their website. Thanks for joining me. I hope you can stay tuned. Have yourselves a wonderful Wednesday. This is Beth AQ. Thanks for listening to the podcast of The Glass House, a weekly radio show that airs on Triple R each Wednesday. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via Twitter at Bethany AQ or the Triple R website, 